Welcome to the Partner Running Show, a show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome to the Partner Running Show on this 21st or 20th of July 2015, no matter where you may be in the world. I'm Andrew O'Brien, and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my lovely co-host, Sue. How are you going, Sue? I'm going pretty well, my darling one. Uh, now, today on the Partner Running Show, uh, our focus is going to be looking at a framework for sustainable running. Uh, it seems like not a day or certainly not a week goes by without us uh, being approached by or meeting people who have, I suppose, run astray with injury or lack of motivation or some other problems or challenges with their running. And uh, I think we've sort of found after many years of research that too often people, they do the training a certain way, they go out and run and in their events and that's it and they think that's all they've got to worry about. But there's a whole lot more to it. Not too difficult, but there is a whole lot more to it uh, to really keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you running successfully year in, year out. Definitely the case. It's not just putting one foot after the other. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. So that's our feature, our feature story, and, and we'll spend most of our time on that today. Of course, uh, as we do, we're going to have a look at uh, the last week in running, uh, particularly with a bit of a follow-up to our, we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the changes in date for the KL uh, Marathon. We're going to do the update on where that's at. And, of course, uh, Ask Sue, and then we'll finish off with having a bit of a look at uh, the week ahead of what's happening next week. Mm. Okay. So unless there's anything else, let's move it right along. No, let's get going. Over the shoulder, a quick review of last weekend's running. Well, last week on the show, we spent a considerable amount of time uh, reporting on the change of date for the KL Marathon. Just to recap... The um, marathon had gone on sale, I think it was late May, sold out in a couple of days, 35,000 runners for October the 4th. And then, uh, just over a week ago, the uh, sports minister uh, announced that they were going to change the date till the 10th of October to coincide with uh, National Sports Day, a new initiative from uh, the government. Uh, in theory, great idea, alliance put them together. However, the problem being, of course, that 35,000 runners, both uh, from KL, from surrounding areas of Malaysia and international, had signed up, booked leave, bought aeroplane tickets, hotel and all sorts of other arrangements to go and run on the October 4th. Now, as you would expect in this day and age, social media quickly cranked up into action and um, led by some very dedicated and keen and um, like fantastic members of the um, Malaysian running community. And but anyway, by weekend. Yes, over the weekend in particular, <laughs> things just really ramped up with petitions, with uh, Facebook pages to sign up. I think there was a lot of media that we didn't get, but national television within Malaysia of people commenting. Yes, it was actually before the weekend. They, it it said they um they got it changed back. So the announcement mm. came towards the end of last week. Um, one might say uh, about. 48 hours after the partner running show got on the case, so we'll claim, we'll, <laughs> we started we'll claim the credit. Uh, rolling. Clearly, we, we might have played a tiny, 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 tiny little bit of uh, a role in sharing the word, but basically the, the uh, Malaysian running community got it together. And 
you know, I saw some posts there continuing to sort of uh, attack, maybe put down the the the, uh, the 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 government, particularly the minister. But I want to take a slightly different perspective, and that is, well, you know, it was a well-meaning idea to coincide the marathon with the National Sports Day, and you know, one of the great aspects of leadership is to admit and learn from your mistakes. And so, uh, if they'd sort of buried battened down the hatches and, and gone on for a few weeks and either not changed or changed it several weeks down the track, then fair enough. But I think they reacted quite quite promptly and to have reversed the decision, recognised that it wasn't the best way to go. I think we need to give the government some credit there and you know the concerns that people expressed about you know, losing money and, and uh, the long-term reputation, good to see that they've stuck to their guns and keeping the KL Marathon on October the 4th. Exactly that. And once again, there will be runners that change their, their dates and their bookings and are not prepared to change back again. Uh, there are others that may not be able to, but full steam ahead. And I think the, the comment was that after the apology for the date change that the Minister hoped for a very good turnout on the day. Yes, I think we'll uh, you know, run a mic who we were from Hong Kong, who we were in, in uh, Phuket with a few weeks ago when he ran his 100th, was one of those people who had had to cancel his things, but he quickly rebooked and uh, got his entry and he's heading off to run the KL Marathon. So I think most people, because the turn, the change back happened so quickly, uh, I think most people would have, uh, you know, be still able to run because usually if something like that happens, you think there's a chance that they won't stick to it. Yeah, wait to see what actually before happens you do cancel before you, your, yeah. everything. So good news for... Uh, for running in in Malaysia and for all those involved in this year, and well done to everybody who uh, campaigned and played their little bit of support to get the date uh, back to back where to it was. October fourth. Good indeed. work. So indeed. that was the big news. Yes, and another story that we have been following over the last couple of weeks on the Partner Running Show was the path of Scott Jurek as he Ugh. broke the record at the Appalachian over the Appalachian Trail, and some interesting developments with that story too over the last week. Yes, we noticed there uh, was a debate going on on Facebook as to the best way to deal with this, but but basically the um, part the park national park Baxter State Park where the trail finished, where Scott Direct finished his uh, his run, the um, park ranger was waiting for him to uh, basically hand out a, a summons or a what's the, what's the term that they use over there a um, infringement notice that <laughs> um, he'd broken the uh, broken the rules of the park yes citations sorry citations, it's the, it's the yep. it's a, 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 a American word that not used to us in infringement notice but yes they handed him out a couple of citations and as I understand it uh, taking photos within 500 metres or 500 yards of the peak. So because there was a film crew capturing the epic journey, uh, they, they'd uh, breached the permit. They took some photos of him reaching the end of the, the trek. Again, again, with people all around the world following such a journey, you would have thought they could have allowed a couple of, just a couple of quick snaps to prove that he, he did it, because if he hadn't, people would go, oh, did he actually get there? Uh, that was one. Um, too many people. Because as he got towards the end, uh, you saw the calls going out on Facebook for people to come along and support him and cheer him through the end. And so a few more people than was meant to go there. And so he got in trouble for having a group of people with him. And the best one that I liked was, uh, and I've seen different reports on this as to whether it was one 
citation or two. Uh, somebody had a bottle of champagne to sort of celebrate when he got got to the end, and so I saw one story where they suggested he got he got cited for having alcohol in the park, um, <laughs> and then another one didn't mention that, but did say he was cited for littering because when they popped the cork on the champagne, some of the some of the champagne spilt onto the ground, and so he was, he was uh, charged with litter. Um, and I suppose just to put it in the context, uh, the uh, head ranger was quoted as saying something along the lines of, you know, it was inappropriate to have the head of the end, end of the trail spelling like a bar. Now, you know, <laughs> one bottle of champagne. I think you know, a little bit of champagne that came out of the bottle because most of it was drunk is hardly going to uh, be the end of the world. But anyway, that was, I suppose, each to their own. Um, can't help but be a bit cynical and, and suggest that the... Uh, power trip or the uh, whatever the whatever was motivating the rangers saw as his opportunity to get some international notoriety by uh you know rather than giving a bit of a warning and a finger wave decided to hand out uh, some some citations, citations and insert himself into the story so they do have quite often they have some difficulties with this national park service in america uh yeah, you know, i think I we've think come across a few stories before with various yeah yeah but anyway, mm, but fair to say they're not the only ones. I know there's you know a story which we have been looking at, but sort of got sidetracked a bit was the challenges with um, one of the ultra runs in Perth recently, where the organizer just got the run around from twenty five different government departments or some variation thereof. So uh, the bureaucracy can create challenges for race directors no no matter where you go, but you know more often than not, it uh, slows things down and people work together. You don't get silly kinds of things like oh, handing definitely. out a citation for, you know, breaking a world record uh, too often. But anyway, mm. takes all kinds. So that was there. That, does, one got that was another interest, yeah. Uh, another story that was doing the rounds uh, just after the weekend's running was in the the Rivel Rockies run that 1,700 runners were unable to get to the start of the half marathon due to the uh, contracted buses, transport buses, not arriving to take them to the start from the uh, location points within the city limits. Now, this meant that these runners were just not able to get to the start. They realised by about 6am that no buses had turned out um, no one has actually claimed responsibility for this, whether it was the race director hadn't followed through with payment of the buses, whether there was some other uh, other point at play there. They managed to chase around and get 25 buses to turn up out of the 52 that were supposed to be contracted. Now, that meant that marathoners were able to get to the start, so they decided that they put all the marathoners in, but the half marathoners would be the ones that would miss out. So sadly, they missed out on participating in this event. Now, race fee has been refunded back to the runners, but some of them were particularly distressed that had travelled to participate in this event, and therefore they've got travel expenses, yes. etc., that goes into it. So just something I haven't heard about. No, buses, not transport buses, not turning up en masse, 52 of them. We've heard of them being slow and late and disorganised. Mm, getting but, lost, but... Uh, yes, <laughs> but it's the first time we've heard of them not rocking up. So yeah, it's, so that was an interesting one. You never know, there's always a different world. And, and talking about uh, then the logistics of organising, one of the stories I quite liked was from New Zealand 
uh, from Christchurch in New Zealand, nice. where um, they just have completed a, basically what we call an after-action review after the Christchurch Marathon, where they had on the day some uh, traffic difficulties and problems, particularly with, I think, ambulances and emergency services getting to the hospitals. And, and uh, I think there was the race director and the race community and the hospitals and the emergency services, they all came together, uh, had a couple of hours at a, at a workshop seminar forum, uh, facilitated conversation, and uh, you know, almost you know, 11 months out from next year's race, the, the Christchurch community has uh, worked together to find better ways to do it. So exactly. I think that's a great... Uh, you know, whilst it's a shame they had some problems this year, first time back in the city centre, it was good that they've sort of worked together in a in a um, cooperative way, rather than seeing people, you know, trying to block permits or cause grief. So good mm. news. Yeah, another interesting tidbit of, of a story that we have followed on the Partner Running Show is about Mike Rossi, and his name might not ring a bell, but his story might. He was the dad who made waves by taking his children or child son out of school to watch him run in Boston Marathon. And then uh, there was a bit of a Facebook campaign about should he be allowed to do it, should he not be able to, and the school didn't let him or didn't want him to. Um, But it then sparked a little bit of an investigation into his actual qualification race of whether he was out on the course. Um, He quoted a run time of three hours and 11 minutes as his Boston qualifier. But previous running exploits sort of show that there was really, that was a bit atypical for his usual running pattern, that he was about a 140 marathoner, which is, you know, pretty, pretty reasonable, but not really at... 340 marathon. That he was, sorry, a 240, uh, 140 half marathoner. Let me get this right. Um, so that... Yes, so that it didn't really seem possible that he could have or should have been able to run that. Now, the magazine or group Let's Run are the ones that tried to investigate this through their looking at his splits, looking at photos on the course. Now, they have offered him $100,000 to recreate his 3 hours 11 Boston qualifier. They've actually said that if he beats 3 hours 25, they will give him the money. Now... He's got to give them advance notice of his participation in the event so that they can follow it, and it's got to be in the next 12 months. Goodness. So there you go. Yeah, he's run 340-something at... Uh, at Boston on the day. Yeah. Yeah. But and they're saying because it was half an hour slower than his whatever. His qualifier. And there was, was a bit of a... Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of sort of chatter about... You know, should he have taken the kids out of school? Yeah. Was he cheating with his qualifier? All sorts of things. So he's basically got to take 20 minutes off his Boston time to get 100,000. Yeah. And he's got 12 months to do it. Yeah. Jeez. Wish I wanted to make me that offer. <laughs> and I reckon I could take 20 minutes off my current time. Well, interesting. So, off we'll my see current what, time so we'll see what happens. For 100 grand. Mm. They're just thinking it's not possible that he can run that time. So anyway. Jeez, they've given him a big window. I reckon. In 12 months, I mean, yeah. Said, if they said he got to get down from 340 to 310, I think, well, maybe not. But to get down from th- you know, the 340 yeah, under to, to under 325, yeah. I think that's that's quite possibly doable. And, uh, yes, it's, um, yeah. the, it, he thinks it was the race of his lifetime that he ran that yeah. previous time, so we'll see. But that's Interesting. One. And Pattaya Marathon, one of our... Well, not our, one of our favourite marathons, maybe, but one of our more memorable marathons was on on the weekend. Kenyans continued to dominate this event. Um, the top seven males 
finishing were all Kenyan athletes and the top female uh, was a Kenyan runner as well. Events not really growing hugely. There were only 707, sorry, 860 in total in this event, um, but nevertheless popular in that part of the world. Also on social media, pictures of Larry Mason complete, completing his 1500th marathon in total. So there you go, a milestone. We think about 100 marathons as a milestone. What about 1,500? That's a lot of... That's a lot of running. It certainly is. It's a lot of medals. Yes, it is. So that's some of the stories that uh, have been floating around the news world. I suppose if you can afford to pay the entry fee for 1,500 marathons, then you can uh, afford a house big enough to... To hold, hold them all in. Hold 1,500. Or <laughs> you can get the pleasure of giving them away, either which way. Okay, that's the news for this week, and on with the show. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. Over the weekend, quite a few long-distance runners or people that are taking longer runs than maybe even 10K were starting to find that they're getting either sore lower backs or even more descriptive, they're getting sore butts or sore down the back of the legs or issues with their lower back and glute area. And a lot of people refer to this as piriformis syndrome or they start to say that they're, they've got some sort of piriformis problem or it's something to do with this muscle in my lower back that runs from my sacrum or my tailbone out to my hip. So I decided to have a little bit of investigation about this. People were sort of saying, oh, look, I'll take a painkiller and that helps relieve the pain and then I'm okay. Or um, I just need to do some stretching and that stretches it out and then I don't feel so bad. But it basically is an unpleasant pain that we often experience when we try and run greater distances than we've normally been running or that we're pushing ourselves beyond our comfort zone with distance in particular. Well, the piriformis syndrome, as it's referred to, is a low-grade discomfort, low-grade pain discomfort that can go on for quite a few months and it tends to isolate around the tailbone or into the buttock area. It could be restricted to one side of your body or you might feel it on both sides of your hips. Now, basically, the piriformis is a small muscle at the back of the hip and it's notorious for causing trouble in high-distance runners. It actually translates from the Latin, this word piriformis, to pear-shaped because that describes the actual shape of the muscle. It's got a wide base where it attaches to the sacrum or the tailbone and then tapers down to a narrow point where it attaches into the hip area. And it's really important as a hip stabiliser. And it also gives us a fair degree of mobility within our hips. So if we get quite tight in the piriformis, we're losing a little bit of mobility of our hips, of our ability to move comfortably over different terrain. A lot of orthopaedic surgeons used to say that it was not that important for running. And when this pain became super chronic, they often cut it from its attachment when the pain became so chronic that it was disturbing quality of life. 
But now new evidence is suggesting that it actually does stop our hip bone or rather our thigh bone, the femoris, thigh bone from bending and it really has an important function in running and work and when it's without working properly it can lead us to the propensity for hip fractures and we can have even more trouble and pain as this femur or thigh bone starts to bend. Now Part of the trouble with the piriformis muscle or why we get pain in that area is that the muscle sits directly on top of the sciatic nerve and that's the, the nervous system that runs from the hips all the way down the back of the legs um, and it's really important for our sensation as we run. So quite often if you're having piriformis pain in the lower back it can actually press on this sciatic nerve which causes tingling down through the back of the legs as well as that pain around the the back area. Now the symptoms to do with this this injury it's not so much an injury as a syndrome it's like a toothache pain. It's dull it can be a little bit sharp at times but more often than not it's just a dull pain somewhere along the glute area or the buttock area down the outside of the leg and it can even cause tingling all the way down to the foot. So we've got the pain as well but ongoing problems it starts to interrupt our sleep patterns we wake up sore we get discomfort sitting um, we find that we're not able to run without pain so we start taking painkillers to help now how do we deal with this well, a couple of different treatment options and one was that immediate taking a painkiller to remove the dull aching pain but it's not dealing with the problem in the first place Stretching is great and the stretching or massage component is a good way of trying to soften the muscle and to reduce the stress on the sciatic nerve. You've got to be a bit careful with the massage that we don't actually put pressure on the sciatic nerve or compress it because that will sort of hold and create more problems. So you've got to be very careful as we do massage and using one of those little massage balls and being really specific about the areas you're targeting around the tailbone is a good idea, a good way of stretch of uh, using massage here. When we hold our stretches, we shouldn't really hold them too long. And a great one is when you lie on your back and you bring your knee up to your chest but across to the opposite shoulder. So it's stretching diagonally across the body. And that's a really good way of working through the stretch as well. But for ongoing help with piriformis syndrome, if you are starting to suffer from that lower back buttock pain, is to do some hip strengthening exercises, mainly for the abductors, which are the muscles that are on the outside of the hip. So we can put a, a band, an elastic band, around the outside of the hip and sort of push against it, trying to sort of strengthen those muscles on the outside of the thigh. A couple of things to think about when you're sleeping, a pillow between the knees is recommended to try and relieve the pressure on the sciatic nerve. And when we sit, to try and sit with straight knees rather than letting your knees rock outwards or knock in together or sit with cross legs, try and sit with straight legs. The other thing for runners is to try and shorten stride length. 
Um, so a couple of different things. Mainly we're trying to stop the outward rotation of the hip. We're trying to keep the legs straight and therefore take the pressure off the sciatic nerve. Good news is most piriformis syndrome issues resolve themselves within a few months with the proper treatment being taken. So rather than just taking a painkiller or a little bit of massage to temporarily relieve the symptoms, maybe think about those long-term fixes of the sleeping with a pillow, the sitting with straight knees and shortening stride length slightly, but then doing some strengthening exercises with elastic bands and making sure that you keep your knees straight if you do any weight strengthening exercises. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. Well, our feature segment on the Partner Running Show this week is we're looking at a framework for sustained running success, uh, something which we've sort of talked about in various uh, shapes and sizes before on the show, Sue. But you know, it seems again over the last few weeks we've run into more and more people who've um, stopped running or frustrated with significant time out from injury um, or other kinds of demotivating type challenges, and many of which... Uh, could have been avoided uh, if they'd had a, a maybe a bit more of a wholesome or a bit more holistic perspective on their running. Yes, uh, not merely just turning up to run on the day or running each day, but actually thinking about what they want to achieve, what they've learned, the way forward, as well as taking care of those essentials too. Yeah, I think people often... Um, just sort of go along with facing on the on the basics of well you know I'm going to go and train I'm going to go and run then I'm going to enter an event and and it's kind of like that exists in a vacuum and then when the wheels fall off for different reasons they lose their motivation or they lose their mojo or they get injured it's kind of like well you know, you know maybe this isn't all it's cut up for or you know I was really loving my running and now I can't run I'm frustrated and of course when it comes to injuries um, we're not meaning to suggest for one moment that injuries. Are kind of like your own fault all the time, but sometimes they are. Um, so what we really want to do is we want to limit the injuries we get to when we're pushing the boundaries. Uh, you know, when we're trying new things. You know, we might fall over during a trail run or whatever. Those things which can't really be helped. Uh, what we're talking about in terms of avoiding injuries are the are the things that come about through you know wearing bad shoes, overtraining too much too quickly, kinds of the the things which uh, a coach could look at it and go, well, if you keep doing that, your chances of getting injured are, you know, dr- dramatically higher. So we want to restrict our our injuries, I suppose, to the, the the places where we're pushing the boundaries or within a, a known risk area, because mm. clearly we can't avoid them all, but we can do a lot to restrict. And it's similar with our our motivation, all those sorts of things. One of the challenges with running, I think people you know, really get into it, they fall in love with running, and then it's like they just want to do it more than their bodies are ready to do. So That's right, not really absorbing the work and not really having a well a plan of where their running's taking them. So in talking about the you know, an approach or a framework for um, sustained running, I suppose we've identified six kind of pillars uh, which lead us to nine characteristics, for, for want of a better term, and there's a, a little model that does tell this story. But in terms of the six... Um, six pillars. First of all is, is your foundation. 
um, laying the basics. And so when we talk about the foundation for sustained running, well, we're talking about why you're doing it, what's what's your future you're hoping to create, what's the desired future of your running. And we really want to start there and get some clarity. Then, of course, it's the training. And then there are the essentials, you know, the right shoes and equipment. So when you know why you're doing it, you've got your training plan sorted and that, and you've got the essentials to look after your basics, and you've really laid the foundation to go on and, and be successful. And I'm going to come back in a minute, Sue, and take you through each of these areas and get you to make some comments. Uh, I'll just explain the model to get us started or the framework. The next one is, is your preparation. And so we don't just go from you know, running around the, the local park into an event. There's, there's a whole bunch of preparation, things which we can do that, to build on our foundation. So first of all, it's the kind of the, um, the travel aspect, the um, event identification, whether it's pushing you you know, physically to a different place or out of your comfort zone. So we talk about you know moving beyond your your local environment or your comfort zone. Is the pre-event preparation? Um, you know, the carbo loading, the resting up, getting ready and prepared, and injury free. What are the things we can do after training, before training, to help us keep in good shape? And then we really call that our preparation aspect. So we've built a foundation, we've prepared, and then last but not least is is the results. And uh, when it comes to results. Well then, you know, we are, we can look at these in different areas. There's the event. Clearly, I ran a you know, 10K in 37 minutes. It's, that's a, an event. That's a result that comes about there. Or I finished my first marathon, whatever it might be. Um, there's the learning that comes from that. You know, what did you learn through, through entering and, and participating and finishing your event? Uh, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about running? And then is the recovery aspect of it because it's all again it adds adds to this is so you sort of don't want to finish the event and then it's all over you want to be recovering and be prepared to be able to do it again it kind of takes the cycle to the next level so when we look at it from that perspective we've laid our foundation through you know our desired future our training and the essentials we need we've prepared in our travel our pre-event our our injury free uh, activities and then we've, we've really focused on our results we, you know we've learnt, we've done the event we've learned from it and we've recovered now a slightly different take on that is to look at how we're going to grow what actions we're going to take and how we're going to sustain it and so we come back to this sort of what we call the middle zone of the framework is with the action and this is where people pretty much focus they train they do a bit of preparation for the event in the pre-event you know they, they eat their carbo loading and they take a day off training, and then they run the event. And that's kind of it. Um, what we're talking about here is is the growing and sustainable aspects. So the desired future, why are we doing it? The travel, the pushing beyond our comfort zone, and the learning from what we do gives us the ability to grow. Uh, you know, we know, Once we know we're moving to, towards somewhere, then you know, we can assess how we're going against that and how we're doing it. So we get growth out of it, and this really adds to the sustainability and then the other side here is, of course, really into the sustainable side, and that is you know, the essentials, you know, the right shoes, the right equipment, the things which are going to set us up to succeed. You know, we talked about being injury-free. Again, staying injury-free helps you sustain it, and, of course, focusing in on the recovery. So many of these characteristics actually serve us in different ways. So, you know, our, our pre-event is an action, but it's also helping us prepare for our results, and so... It kind of it all it's interconnected. It's a holistic approach, and you know, as we, as we said, too often when people just focus on training, getting to the event, running the event, 
without context of why they're doing it, how they're recovering, what are they learning, have they got all the right gear, are they doing all the other things which contribute it, that's when they fall apart, get hurt, lose motivation and don't continue to do it. Exactly, just taken as one isolated thing without taking into the whole body of their running this particular event's place. So now what I want to do is to go back into the specifics of those areas and get just get you to talk a little bit about some of the things which are important. And so um, when I was, you know, that's where my, my doctoral work was, and I really love to start with this notion of why am I doing it? What's success like? You know, what am I trying to achieve? And, and, and in the context of this, you know, we call it the, the area of desired future and it's about being clear on what you want to achieve. So what, what are five or six things maybe that, that we want to think about or clarify in setting ourselves up to be successful? Mm-hmm. I think the first one to look at is, well, why, why do you run? What's your actual running philosophy? What does it mean to you or what do you get out of it uh, on an internal level? It might be a physical level. But then secondly, to start to look at your running vision for yourself for the long term, maybe 10 years' time, maybe five years' time. But then take that even closer as another aspect of your running is what are your running goals for the next 12 months or the next six months even? next year just to have a little bit of a draft look at what your running goals are going to be but then start to become a little bit more aware perhaps of yourself too of your your awareness of self like what do you enjoy about running what's one of the things that you like doing what things don't you like doing with your running and what sort of conditions do you like to run in uh, whether it's something that you prefer to do with a partner whether you like to run with others whether you like to run alone and why what's that what does it mean to you with your running and I suppose another big thing is well where does running sit in connection with your life your other aspects of your life how does it sit with you so, so lots of things so for many of us I suppose recognizing that uh, you know running gets us fitter happier healthier more energetic so that we can then be better you know husbands wives partners bosses workers brothers, sisters, families, whatever else. It gives us the energy for the rest of the things we want to do in life. Yep. I think one of the other things which was key in what you were talking about there is the, uh, and it's links kind of your your vision, your goals, and your likes and dislikes. There's so many events around today, and I reckon really a week goes by without somebody saying to me, oh, you know, have you ever gone and done one of those desert runs? And uh, so many people love those. I, I just don't. I, I'm not interested in going out and running across the desert. And so it's very easy if you're not aware of, what's your goals, what you like, to then go, yeah, I'll go and do that, I'll go and do this. And if you if you go and participate in events which you just aren't for you and you're not committed to, you just something's doubtful, then it dramatically increases your chances of not making it. it. Makes it hard to train, makes it hard to prepare, and it undermines your success. So this whole notion of, you know, there's so many options to choose from, you know, do I, do I want to be a, a trail runner? Do I want to be short distance, long distance? You know, do I want to... Uh, to run roads? Do I want to run track? You know, do I want to run to win? Do I want to run to participate? All of this sets us up for success in everything else that we do. So the next area is this notion of training. So what's uh, a couple of things there which are really crucial in the training area? 
Well, also having a look back at your running goals again and for your next event that you're targeting, um, if that is your, your focus, of what you're going to be doing for the next six months, maybe the next 12 months, but maybe your running goal is two years' time and look at your training in that context. Um, along with that goes, well, what sort of commitment you're able to or prepared to make to your training to achieve those goals and, you know, what are your preferences for training, um, whether it's day, night, whether it's long distance, short distance, hills, all different types of preferences for training. Whether you want to also work with a coach that maybe you need a mentor or probably it's a really good idea to get any sort of advice with training that you can get and temper it. A training plan is something also that many people don't have with their running and it's a great way of addressing your goals, of really targeting and focusing what your run goals are. Training can also include picking up good training habits, um, those little tools that we use to help us go through our training goals and our training plans by getting those good habits. Um, also thinking about what your motivation's going to be. What What is your motivation for your training? And getting into those really good routines that help you get to your, to your success ultimately. Um, a great way of keeping your training on track is having a diary to record whether it's that you didn't complete the work that you wanted to or whether you did and how you felt. But of course an important part of our training is being able to make adjustments if we need to, whether that illness, the weather, life, things just get in the way, um, but being able to just take your training as a whole and really look at it carefully. So a key part of uh, you know, sustainable running is is the ability to, to learn and grow and improve. And of course, what you've just talked about there and the training aspect of you know having a plan, keeping the diary, are being aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it because it then links to your goals. That all lays as part of this foundation phase of uh, long-term and ongoing success. Okay, the next one is the essentials. And often we think, oh, well, you know, I've got to get a pair of shorts. Uh, but it's more than just the pair of shorts. And, you know, there's a, you know good socks, good, good, good shoes, all of those things can make a big difference. So, so just quickly, what are, in terms of our essentials box, what are a few of the key things that you think we need to be, to be ticking off and paying attention to? Yeah, I think we should be monitoring our diet or really just looking at our diet, whether it's going to be suitable for what we want to achieve, uh, whether we're taking in the type, right type of energy to get success in our running. But And very allied to that is, of course, um, hydration as well. So not only do we want the right food to get through our training and get towards our running goals, but we also want hydration too. Um, you touched upon clothes and shoes, of course, shoes being one of the most important uh, aspects of our essentials is making sure that we've got the right footwear. Um, allied to that, a lot of people love having their GPS watches uh, to, to record their data and find out, like as a tangible way of checking how they're going and what distances they're covering and the speed they're going at. So all sorts of apps and different uh, watches, GPS tools are great essentials for a lot of people to achieve their running success, to look back as a record of what they did and to set themselves some goals as well. Um, other things we might want to think about, we want to stay safe and that really is an important factor of uh, safety in terms of 
physical safety. If we're running at night, we've got adequate lighting for ourselves. If we're running in freezing cold temperatures, that we've got the right equipment to keep our body temperature warm. Um, conversely, if it's super hot, make sure that you're keeping yourself physically safe. And of course, uh, when you talk about essentials, I think you talk about diet there in the context of fueling for your running. But mm. one of the things we, we know with, with runners is that they often are carrying a bit more weight than they need to, or in some cases, they're training so hard and they're not actually um, up to, they need to actually put on a little bit of weight. So so the diet isn't just about fueling for your your workouts and your race, it's also about working towards getting the optimum uh, weight, et cetera, for the events that you're training for and your overall health. Okay, so the next, uh, that kind of ticks off our foundation phase of desired future training and essentials. Let's talk about preparation. Now, travel is the kind of the heading that we put this under, and so there are a couple of the things which apply here, whether it's... um, Running in your local park, you've still got to you know, be booking in and managing various aspects of it. But in the broader context, give us a few uh, thoughts around what are some of the things we want to pay attention to when it comes to preparing for the travel aspect of an event and one, one predominantly here that's away from home. Well, I think we need to be careful also with the, the travel consequence of going outside of our comfort zone. If we're going up in distance, we're going something into a place that we've never been before, that we've got to be very much uh, into the risk management, I suppose, of some of the things that might go wrong or what we're going to do if they do. And that involves a little bit of research and planning to, to be really aware of where we're going, what the sort of terrain's going to be like, knowing about what your travel is going to involve and what stresses it's going to be putting on your body as well. Now, some people don't like to travel out of their comfort zone. They like to stay within a certain event distance every time. They like to stay within a location that they know, that they feel comfortable with, and that might be your preference, and that's fine. But other people like to to move outside of their comfort zone, whether it's internationally, whether it's into a different state, whether it's a place that they've just never run before. And that really does involve a little bit more of organisation and research and planning. And it might also involve booking, accommodation, flights, whatever it might involve. And therefore also you've got to start to think about, well, how are you going to manage that if it involves time away from home? So, and of course, the classic trap of uh, the new beauty. I'm here for the New York City Marathon, and I've just spent three days walking around the city and going to the expo. And now it's race day, and six months of trainings at the window because I'm exhausted. Yep. So it's those kinds of things. It's yeah. both travel aspects of travelling distance and travelling out of your comfort zone. Magnificent. Too. Of course, then the other aspect here, I think you did mention it too, is is in sort of moving beyond your comfort zone, and it could just be that you're. Um, you're trying to actually set a PB or go further or a bigger uh, upgrade in distance, but it's local, it's close to home. But by pushing yourself to new horizons of physical performance, that can then have an impact. So when, you, when you're going for a big special race or something, it might be that's the day that you get a friend to drive you home. Um, it might be that you, you, know, you make some special arrangements because you are physically pushing into a you know, zone where you've never been before. So there's different angles mm. to this notion of travel and moving out of your comfort zone. 
Okay. Uh, the next one here, of course, is pre-event. Uh, whether it's home, away, or anywhere else, there's a couple of things you need to specifically pay attention to. Uh, not whilst not the exhaustive list, there are a couple of starters, and these are, of course, Sue. Well, the first one's entry, making sure that you are entered into the event and being very mindful of some the fact that some races are extremely popular. Some races have got shut-off dates um, that they could fill completely before you get a chance to enter. So as soon as you know you really want to do this event and it's targeted, then good idea to get the entry in rather than maybe leave it to the last minute and miss out or even forget about it thinking that you've mentally ticked it off but haven't actually physically done it. Um, Then we start to get into a checklist of sorts of what are the type of things I need to prepare for my pre-event and it might just be simply things like laying out your clothes the night before, checking you've got all of those shoes, socks, clothing, everything that you need before you uh, are going to put them on on race day so just getting organised that way. A little bit further back from actually physically going through your checklists in a way is tapering off your training and getting adequate rest leading into the event. Now whether this is getting more sleep, whether it's if you can taking a little bit of time off, all sorts of things that might help your race day performance and then closely associated associated with the taper and rest is making sure that your body physically is prepared through diet and that might involve carbo loading for a day or two if it's a longer distance event and making sure that you're adequately hydrated and of course if you are traveling to an event which we mentioned it's allowing yourself enough leeway on either side for a travel mishap in other words your flight gets delayed or you can't leave at exactly the time you wanted to leave due to a work commitment that's going to pad out your preparation that you're not arriving at the last minute for your event. And then, of course, uh, the last thing on the pre-event is your race day activities, you know, getting to the start, making sure you're warm before the race starts and all those kinds of aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one is uh, injury-free, which is really is part of our, our preparation, but it's also part of our sustainability. And um, with a number of these kind of specific issues within the various characteristics here, I mean, they're overlapped. They're not mutually exclusive they do apply to different areas and the first thing I think when it comes to to the injury free is is ensuring that your training um, is aligned with your goals and where you're at um, and that it that you've you've aligned that with the essentials so you've got the sorts of you know, shoes and equipment um, that is specific for what you're training for so that that all contributes not just to your training success and your event success but it it contributes to keeping you injury free now a big one when it comes to to injury free would be um where you run yeah watching that the surfaces that you're running on and if you're doing high mileage if you if you're doing all of that running on concrete or road or really hard surfaces that's going to put a lot more strain on your body so if you can mix up some softer running surfaces as you increase your distance that is going to take the strain off your joints and your muscles. So one of my um, pet topics here in, when it comes to injury-free is, is this notion of self-awareness. And unfortunately, one of the things that many runners do, they get into one of two groups. It hurts a bit, I've got to stop. And the people who go in the hurts a bit, I've got to stop, often will then consult a, a non-sports doctor who will say, oh, yes, well, it hurts a bit, you better stop. And, of course, 
that lack of self-awareness means that they end up not running and they miss out on all sorts of opportunities because often it's just a matter of adaption or poor training that's taken it. The other side of the coin, and probably most of the people who, are, who listen to us, uh, are, are the opposite end of the spectrum. They've worked through all of that initial training and body adaption and the, the injury, the soreness and the, the bit of pain that goes with that to the point where, you know, they're used to having a little bit of soreness because if you're not if you don't have some some delayed onset muscle soreness or if something's not a bit tender from pushing a bit too hard then you kind of think like you haven't worked hard enough and the problem becomes then that you ignore all the symptoms of things going wrong so what you really want to get to is is uh, it takes a bit of self-education and learning over time of what's a good pain or good soreness and what's one to be to be monitored with so that self-awareness is an ongoing battle but over time you can get you can really get us like a, a sixth sense of yep that's adaption oh that's a problem and, and work on that so a few of the other things which help keep us injury free so well i think cross training is a great way of working on our physical fitness our muscle strength without putting the impact through our bodies so cross training is great but also being aware of the need for sleep sometimes sleep is a very underestimated part of our injury-free process and uh, there's nothing like a good sleep to help your body recover and your muscles adapt. Massage um, doesn't have to be a super strong heavy massage, it might be self-massage with some of the different tools that are available and I think uh, the next two are sort of allied together and that's physiotherapy and podiatry if we do start to feel that there's any problem with our bodies to seek out help early rather than wait till it gets to the chronic and super serious stage and the same with feet issues with podiatry if we're starting to get problems with our feet soreness act sooner rather than wait until the problem becomes chronic. I think when it comes to podiatry, it's probably for, for many people, uh, it does vary a little bit on your distance, but a once or twice a year visit to your podiatrist to get your feet scraped back and checked and, and whatever, it's a, bit, it's a bit like before something goes wrong. Mm. So it might be your physio can't necessarily service you to, to um, fix you up, but you certainly can get some work on your feet to take off calluses and other bits and pieces. Oh, definitely. Okay, um, now, the last three of the areas is all about the, the, the growth, and of course we're going to talk about learning, the actual event, some of the specifics, and recovery. So when it comes to learning, I might, this is kind of my, my yes, thing, baby, so I'll, I'll do a quick baby. overview. Uh, of course, it's having the training plan, which we mentioned earlier. So that's your training plan is like your guide, and that's what you're going to measure against and, and learn against for your run aspect of it. Uh, your pre-event planning, again, make sure you know what you're going to do and how you're going to go about it. Your race strategy, so again, you want to know how you're going to react in the various situations and deal with the challenges. Uh, and your race and training diary, so you're recording what you've done, what actually happened. Now, having the plan um, for training for the for the event, your race strategy, and your, and your and then recording it, that sets us up for the actual learning aspect of it. So we know what we're, we're going to do, we know what we've actually done, and now by using techniques like the weekly review, uh, the event review, working with your coach and mentor, you can actually look at the difference between what you set out to do, what you actually did, the results you got, and you can then fine-tune that and make adjustments into the future. Those sorts of reviews and... and uh, 
and reflection on what you've done also enables you then to draw out those lessons for other parts of your life. So yeah, learning is a is an exciting part of whether you're just trying to improve your running or whether you're actually trying to look at the bigger lessons for life that running can give you. And we know that running teaches you how, so much about your ability to be successful in other parts of your life. So that's yeah, a, a snapshot of some of the things involved with learning. Now, when it comes to the event, Sue, what are the specifics or a few of the things we want to be really clear on here? Well, we've got to have our event goal. We don't go into an event with just, uh, whether it's to complete, whether it's a time goal, whether it's some aspect. So the ally to that then is the race strategy. How are we going to go about achieving that goal? So what plan are we going to put in place and follow as we go through our event? But then, of course, there are always things that might come up that are going to uh, sabotage our run, I suppose, is one way of looking at it. And by thinking about all of the different things that can go wrong or right, the scenarios that can happen, we've got a strategy in place to deal with those that might distract us from our goal. Um, We're in the event, we've got our equipment, we've got our essentials in place, and we've got to also go through a mental rehearsal of the event, of visualising ourselves doing it, what we're going to get through when we see these little milestones along the way and then actually do it, put it in place. So as well as thinking all through this this sort of planning, we've actually got to do it on the day and bring it with us to the event. Uh, great idea to keep an event diary so that you do actually keep a record of what happens during that particular event. So we know what our, our goal was, we've got a pace for it, we've got a plan for how we're going to drink uh, take on energy, mm. etc. Um, how we're going to deal with you know, different changes in the weather, and then at the end of the race, after the race, we wanted to, again write that down, see if we did what we said we were going to do, what actually happened. So this is the you know, again, it helps us with our learning aspect. Now, last but not least, uh, and again, the classic scenario: oh, I did did a, a run yesterday, I did an event, it was fantastic. I'm all excited. I'm going to go tomorrow morning and go for another run because I'm I'm all hyped up. And then, bang, injury hits or, you know, whatever it is. So recovery is critical. We need to focus yes, on our recovery and do. get that right. We and do. We all hear the stories about the, you know, the either the gifted, the blessed, or the incredibly um, experienced who's trained for it over many years who goes out and runs again after doing a big event. Um, that's the exception, not the rule for most of us. We need to be very careful about recovery. And even those who are able to run the next day, uh, if they're doing it properly, have got a very well orchestrated recovery plan. So just, Indeed. again, quickly, uh, introduce us to a few of the key aspects of recovery. Well, I think the first key one that we need to look at is getting our nutrition or our replenishment of our energy that we've used during the event and you know the carbohydrate, the protein that's going to rebuild our muscles and our energy levels, rehydrating. Uh, even if it hasn't seemed as though it's going to be a super hot day or a dehydrating day, we have dehydrated somewhat. We need to rehydrate. Really nice to think about a reward for yourself. It doesn't have to be anything over the top, but just a small little reward that you can give yourself as a pat on the back for a job well done can be a very stimulating tool mentally to go to your next target. Recover. Don't go out and do things if your body isn't ready for them, just because you think that you have to, um, because it's going to make you feel better about yourself. Um, So recovery, really important to make sure that our bodies have recovered before we do things. 
rest. Rest might be completely rested, restful, uh, making sure that you get a little bit more sleep, a little bit more time off your feet than you did before or in the past, um, just in your normal day, to make sure that you are somewhat recovered before you do move on. And uh, that also therefore means, as part of that rest, it's to review what actually happened. It's a good chance to just think back while everything's really fresh in your mind about what actually happened, review. And it might mean that you need to actually refocus that things didn't go according to plan, or perhaps they did, and you're going to set yourself a a newer or a stronger or something more challenging as a target. Um, And, of course, the most important part of recovery is to resume. The eight R's of recovery. Replenish, Mm. rehydrate, reward, recover, rest, review, refocus, and resume. Resume. And you don't want to make it nine because number nine would be retire. (laughs) Yes, that's definitely not. That's why it's only eight. So thanks, Sue, for taking us through uh, the nitty-gritty or the introducing the the various aspects there of uh, what are the nine characteristics of the six pillars of sustainable running. And, of course, as we said at the outset, too often uh, we just focus on our our training and our event and we and when we fail to pay attention to those other aspects of it the why we're doing it the you know the growth that comes with it and of course the basics injury, staying injury free and using the right gear then we set ourselves up to fail rather than to be sustainable so when we when we incorporate all of those things together um, not as hard as it sounds particularly once you get into it they're kind of an obvious connections that really sets us up for long-term success and so that is the end of our um, our feature segment today on uh, sustained successful running the road ahead join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events quite a few events on the running calendar for july 25 26 that we've actually run before Um, one of them is the Swiss Alpine Marathon is on uh, out of Davos and then also the San Francisco Marathon, another fabulous event, and the Rio de Janeiro Marathon as well as the Australian Outback Marathon and the Westlink M7 Marathon out of Sydney too. So quite a few marathons that we've done. Other events on this weekend, the Deseret News Classic out of Salt Lake, the Grand Island Trail in the US, the Horn in Salvantnet in Norway, Mad Marathon in Idaho, Trail Aneto in Spain, Mispo in Estonia, Mountain Man in Switzerland, Olands in Sweden, Bearfest Marathon in Alaska. And after our friends saying there are quite a lot of bears up around that part of the wood, it might really be a Bearfest. Big Basin Trail in California. Fort William in Scotland, Snowdonia in Wales, the Gold Rush Trail Marathon is on in Queensland, Kamloops in Canada, the Winery Running Festival in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales too, Nova Scotia in Canada, the PA Grand Canyon in Pennsylvania. So they are some of the wonderful running events on next weekend. And on that note, uh, have a great week, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Partner Running Show. We'll see you next week. And, of course, any comments, questions or suggestions, uh, either contact us via the Partner Running uh, at Facebook or Partner Running at Twitter or Partner Running at Instagram or email us at info at partnerrunning.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Sue. Have a great week of running. You're listening to the Partner Running Show with your hosts, 
Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine.